Amen. Our reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. We're going to read all of chapter 16. Appropriately enough, it's page 16 on your pew Bibles, if you have one available to you. Genesis chapter 16, and uh, reading from verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Beret. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of 
praise and prayer. We thank you that we are able to, to lift our words to you, assured that in the Lord Jesus Christ you receive them, you hear them, you bring joy to you. We thank you, Father, that we are able not only in Christ to speak to you, but to hear from you. So as we spend this time together under the authority of your word, we ask that we would hear the voice of uh, the sovereign God speaking into our hearts and our lives. We ask that we would receive that word with humility and with faith, with gratitude and with joy, and that we would be doers of the word, not only hearers. For the glory of your name, and for the kingdom of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we have been looking at some of the names that God takes to Himself in Scripture in recent weeks, and today we reflect, as you will see from the screen, on El Roy, the God who sees me, or simply the God who sees. He's the one who sees all things. Before him, nothing is hidden. Deeds done in darkness, words spoken behind closed doors, even the thoughts that we have never spoken to anyone else. All of these things lie bare before him. So, what is the natural reaction to a God like that? What is the natural reaction to the God who sees all things, even the things that we hide from those that we love the most? Well, I suspect the natural reaction is fear. Were I to tell you that I was about to display the three darkest thoughts which have ever come into your mind on the screen behind me, to lay them bare before the whole congregation, I'm sure your reaction would be fearful. Mine would. Mine would. And that's just amongst our peers, amongst fellow imperfect people. But God is light. He is perfect. He is pure. And He sees in us all of the impurities. So we, we ought to wonder how it can be that we can know Him. Because light and darkness have nothing in common. Light and darkness cannot live in harmony together. Switch on the light and the darkness disappears. So we come to the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. He sees God in all of His glory. And how does He feel? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Or we might think of John as he meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the opening chapter of of Revelation. This is one of the twelve, very close to Jesus. The one who has the best nickname, surely, in Scripture. Uh, The one, uh, the, the disciple, rather, whom Jesus loved. This is the one whom the Lord Jesus Christ chose to look after his mum as he as he hung on the cross. No one was closer to Jesus than John. John, an old man now in the Isle of Patmos, sees the risen Christ. His head and hair, he says, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. How does he feel? When I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet as though dead. Fear. They saw that God is light, and they recognized that within them there was darkness. And what does light do to darkness? It extinguishes it. It snuffs it out. And so they were afraid. God sees all things and understands all things. We see very few things, limited as we are by time and by space, and even what we do see, we don't always understand aright. Sometimes we can look, both of us, two of us, we can look at the same thing and yet see something totally different. You could go to a football stadium, believe me, I've been there with 50,000 people, And 50,000 people can look at something that's happening down in the pitch and see one thing, but the wee man down there with the whistle, he sees something totally different. And you go home, sure you're right, uh, late at night you, you watch the same thing on high definition, slow motion, loads of different angles, and there's two experts in this studio, and having looked at this incident from all these different angles, slow motion, high definition, one expert sees one thing, And the other expert sees something else. God sees all things as they truly are. He knows, he understands what he sees. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 16. 
to the story of Hagar and Ishmael. It is, in, in many ways, an unfamiliar, even if we know it, it's an unfamiliar and an ugly story. And I say that with reverence to, to the text of, of Scripture. What I mean by that is the way that the people in the story behave is ugly. We are, we are used to stories having goodies and baddies, aren't we? That's, that's how we see stories from our youngest years, whether it's Batman and the Joker or The Incredibles and Syndrome uh, or James Bond and the, the guy with the cat. James Bond basically and anyone with any scar or any funny accent which, uh, doesn't send the best of messages, but that's a, another sermon. Every story that we, we grew up with, there's a goodie and there's a baddie, or there are goodies and there are baddies. And, and we take that to the text of Scripture, don't we? We take that expectation to the text. So David is a goodie, Goliath is a baddie. The Israelites are the goodies, the Philistines are the baddies. Esther good, Haman bad, and, and so on and so forth. But then we come to Genesis 16. Where is the goodie? Where is the one who behaves well in this story, in these verses? After 10 years of waiting, Sarai decides that God has had enough time to fulfill his promise and to give her and Abraham a child. So she takes matters into her own hands. She offers to give her servant to Abraham that they might have children through her. This is totally acceptable in the culture of the day, but totally unacceptable in the eyes of God. Not good, Sarai. Abraham accepts this offer, enters into this polygamous relationship. Not good, Abraham. Poor Hagar has little choice in the matter, given the culture in which she lives. So she marries Abraham, she falls pregnant, and then she looks down on Sarai. NIV, she despises her mistress. Not good. Then Sarai blames Abraham. Abraham says, well, this woman that I've married and who is carrying my child, she's got nothing to do with me. She's your servant, so you do what you want with her. So Sarai takes it out on Hagar, and Hagar runs away, back in the direction of her, her homeland, back in the direction of Egypt, a land filled with false and pagan gods. None of these people come out of this story looking good. It's like an episode of Jeremy Kyle in the making. But God, the God who sees all things, has seen these things, and he meets with Hagar. The angel of the Lord, this is verse 11, also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means the Lord hears, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. 
and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God has seen the misery. He has seen the suffering of Hagar. Hagar has not acted, you know, uh, perfectly in this story, in this circumstance. But God sees the suffering of Hagar, and he meets with her, not to bring judgment, but to bring mercy. Sin has consequences, and from Ishmael will come hostility and strife. But for Hagar, the security of having a strong son in a society where a female servant, a female slave is so very vulnerable, this is good news for Hagar. Very good news. And the majority, the vast majority of times we are reminded in Scripture that God sees us, we are reminded not so that we would be filled with fear, but so that we would be freed from fear. Because this God, our God, is the God of mercy. He is the God who meets with people in mercy and in love. He is the God who treats people better than we deserve to be treated. Not by sweeping our sin under the carpet, but by dealing with that sin decisively so that we might be made clean in His eyes. Remember Isaiah, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We read on. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. There is an altar which can cleanse us and cause us to stand in the presence of God, even to go in the name of God. The God who is light, to stand in the presence of God of that God, unashamed and unafraid. The altar is the cross, and the sacrificial lamb is the Christ. If you go back to that other passage, John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He has triumphed over sin and death. He holds the keys, and He opens the door to fullness of life and eternal life to all who will simply bow before Him 
and call on his name. And so, if we belong to Christ Jesus, then we ought to be encouraged by the knowledge that our God is the God who sees. Because through Christ, He sees us through the lens of love. And so, in those moments, on those occasions, when we find ourselves in circumstances and situations and places which feel frightening or overwhelming, we are able to say with David, and I know that this psalm is special to many people I see before me, we can say with David, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He sees us. He knows us. He loves us. And He is with us. That God who is holy is different, but He's not distant from His people. He knows what we are facing, what we are fighting, what we are fearing. He knows, He has seen, and He cares. He knows, He has seen, and He will show Himself to be faithful. So, what do you do when you are fearful? Remember that He sees and that He cares. Ask yourself, if God is for you, who can stand against you? Even those who love you most in life won't see everything that you have to deal with, every fear that you have to face, or every battle that you have to fight, but He does. So, find your rest and your peace in Him. Secondly, for anyone who is mistreated and maligned for your faithfulness to Christ Jesus, know that He sees. And the truth will come out in the end. He will judge justly. Every wrong will be put right. So, rest in the knowledge that the God who sees will on that great day that is coming bring justice bring deeds that are done in darkness out into the light. Even if justice doesn't come today or tomorrow, none of these things have escaped his notice, and it will all be put right in the end.
Jesus, as he prepares his followers for persecution and for persecutors, says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. It will be worth the wait. So press on in faithfulness to your Lord. Thirdly, for those of us who are under pressure to conform to the world around us, and that's all of us, or to impress people at the expense of being faithful to God, ask God to help you to do what is right in His eyes, not, in the eye, not necessarily in the eyes of those around about you. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's a word for today, isn't it, really, in this society in which we live, with all the social media uh, that we're all, or most of us, are connected to. Chasing loads of likes on social media will never lead to peace. Just do what is right in His eyes. Just live for an audience of one and know that it is in living that life that you find true and lasting peace. Lastly, a word to those of us who are not Christians or who are not sure if we are Christians. Maybe you could do with a bit of fear. I speak as an imperfect person to imperfect people. Uh, how does the saying go? I am a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. He sees all things. He is holy and perfect and pure, and He will not sweep your sin under the carpet. To do that would be to deny His very nature. He is light, and light does not tolerate darkness. Light does not make deals with darkness. Light extinguishes darkness by its very nature. God is light, but God is also love. And so in love, He has provided all that is needed for you to have those ugly stains on your soul washed clean, to be made as white as snow, and to be welcomed into the presence of God without fear, without guilt or shame. The God who sees is looking to love you, and to be merciful to you. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live.
this rich fare, this life uh, which is offered to us, it did not come cheap, and yet we don't have to earn it. Jesus paid the price for all who would come and trust and follow Him. I don't know how many more days you will have to make that decision. I can't see, but He sees, only He sees. But you have today, you have this moment, this time, and this would be a great day to leave no room for doubt and to come to Christ wholeheartedly, unreservedly, to call on His name, assured that He sees and that He cares and that He will rescue you from the misery of living your life in fear. And all because of Jesus, we are able to to issue these invitations. All because of Jesus, we are able to receive this life, this freedom from fear, this life in all of its fullness, this life which will live forever. All because of Jesus. And so as we close, we bring all of our praise to Jesus. Come and see the King of love. The hymn goes on to say, We worship at your feet, where wrath and mercy meet, and a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. For us he was made sin, no help me take it in, deep wounds of love cry out. Father, forgive, I worship, I worship the Lamb who was slain.